You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Everyone is facing these huge life-changing moments. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. I think it really is important for folks to reach out to people so they can know that they're not alone. We don't know how long all this is going to go on for. And from an emotional standpoint, psychologically, that's a really difficult, difficult thing to grapple with. This is KCBS In-Depth. survivor and I'm grateful to be a survivor you know um, after decades of shame and hurt the head of a major South Bay homeless shelter group is now speaking up about her own experience with homelessness during her teenage years I'm lucky that I had some of the skills and some of the resiliency and obviously some support to get through growing up and the ordeals I encountered Hello and welcome to KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Menconi, and today we're bringing you a conversation with Andrea Erton, the CEO of Home First Services, who recently came forward with her story. We'll discuss what she wants more people to understand about what it means to be homeless. I wanted to break down some of that blame and shame that many of our unhoused neighbors walk around with. Then in the second half of the program, the challenges that Erton faced while she was growing up have tragically not gone away. In fact, over the past year, they seem to have only gotten worse. Our young people are in need of our attention. They're in need of our support, and they're in need of the financial resources. We'll take a closer look up ahead on KCBS In-Depth. First, though, we're going to get to know the woman who runs one of the largest shelter groups in the South Bay. A warning to those who might be sensitive... This first section includes references to sexual abuse. We can come back into the lobby and I can walk you around the shelter. I met up recently with Andrea Erton, again the CEO of Home First Services at one of the group's San Jose homeless shelters. So when people check in, they get a meal ticket, a blanket, and a bed number. It's just one of several facilities that she oversees as the head of a shelter network that on any given night houses thousands of people throughout Santa Clara County. Thank you guys. I appreciate your time today. Bye. You too. Bye. Have a great day. Erton, now 53, spends much of her work days busy with meetings, making plans for new shelter sites and services, and fielding phone calls with city and county officials as she helps to coordinate the emergency rehousing effort launched in response to the pandemic. She's come a long way from her troubled childhood, which she spent in poverty growing up outside of L.A. Her difficulties began early in life. Burton says that when she was only nine years old, her mother lost a seven-year battle with a chronic illness. Her passing meant that Erton was left in the sole care of her father, a man who she says was prone to violent outbursts and, perhaps she believes, suffered from undiagnosed mental illness. And so he drank, um, he was physically abusive, um, and he was sexually abusive with me. And when mother died, um, things escalated. And they continued to escalate for several years. The situation finally came to a head one night when Erden was 15 and her father once again threatened her physically. This time, though, she fought back. I had been working out and was very physically strong. And I just, I went nuts and I just started punching as hard as I could. 
She managed to fight him off, and that became the first time that she ran away from home. And I was gone for a while, um, couch surfed. I had a network of girlfriends with single mothers, and so was very lucky. They never really asked any questions. I think they knew. Looking back, they must have known. What followed for Erden was a four-year period of sporadic homelessness, filled with long nights spent alone and vulnerable. I <laughs> slept in my car um, and ended up renting a room at a Navy flop house, which was um, not a pleasant ordeal. I had to keep the door locked and the windows and curtains shut because the men would get drunk at night and try to come in. Despite all that life had to throw at her, Erden managed to persevere, eventually going on to complete her education, after which she worked for many years as a therapist, then later as an administrator, and finally in 2015, she landed the CEO spot at Home First. It felt like my life had come full circle. Full circle because as she goes about her work, she understands the difference a shelter room could have made in her own life. I would have been safe. I would have been off the street. I wouldn't have been at risk for sexual assault any further. And I would have been able to finish my studies earlier because I wouldn't have had to work multiple jobs. It could have just been one full-time job. The trauma of her teenage years still lingers, but recently, Erden decided to share details of her story with the Mercury News. She says she did so in part to let others who have faced similar struggles know that they are not alone. Uh, meantime, though, she also has a message for those who have never experienced homelessness. We are going to discuss that message further now. Once again, we're speaking with Andrea Erden of Home First Services. This is KCBS In-Depth. So talking about the timing for uh, coming forward with this experience and sharing it with uh, the South Bay community, Obviously, we are in the midst of um, uh, major transitions, uh, uh, major efforts over the last year to get as many uh, unhoused people into temporary shelters, into permanent shelters as possible. And there is this big question hanging in the air of how permanent will these efforts be? And a lot of that is going to be determined by the decisions made at the local level, people deciding, do I want the shelter in my community? Do I want it to stay here? Do I want uh, whatever other development that uh, is supportive housing, whatnot? Do I want that to stay here? So there are a lot of big decisions that are going to be made in the months and uh, years ahead. Uh, I wonder if that was uh, a motivating factor for you at all uh, in bringing your own experience to light. It was in, a, in the fact that um, I wanted to normalize uh, what it means to be unhoused for people. If they could see someone that looks like me, <laughs> middle-aged, white woman, slightly chubby, <laughs> you know, I, I could be, you know, an old teacher, I could be a current teacher, I could be a family friend, a family member, any of those things. And if they could look at me and hear me articulate my story and understand that I'm an educated woman, and it happened to me, then I'm hoping that people can shift their pers perspectives from a shame and blame and fear position, which I understand the fear. I don't, I'm not shaming or blaming people either, but to a position of let's do what we have to do to take the most vulnerable people in our community and let's get them the solutions they need to help them resolve their issues permanently. 
And that's going to be a wide array of services because people come to the table with different backgrounds and different problems, different challenges. So we need to offer a wide array of solutions, everything from drug and alcohol treatment to mental health, to boarding care facilities that we don't have enough bed for, to emergency interim housing and bridge housing and permanent supportive housing and affordable housing. We need all of those services. And in the interim, we need safe encampments because there has to be a safe place for people to go with dignity now. Well, we put those other measures in place. This will also help clean up our communities. So it really is a win-win. It does everything for everyone. And I know at the end of the day, that's what our community wants. They want a safe, clean, dignified place where they can live and our unhoused neighbors can live too. And I, I think another aspect of your story that may be striking to some is that when folks think about homelessness, they have a particular picture in their head about what homelessness looks like. Uh, they they may think of encampments in particular, or they may think of shelters. Y- you had a very precarious uh, housing situation that took many different forms uh, over over the course of your homelessness, and that's fairly typical of many people's experiences. It is, and it's it's very typical of young adults as well. Mm. Um, but it is many people are in and out of homelessness briefly mm. um, because they don't make enough money to really end their issue by getting an apartment. It costs anywhere between thirty five hundred to five thousand dollars to rent an apartment in this valley. And if you're working at Subway or as a janitor or a receptionist, where do you save that kind of money? Yeah, yeah. So. Hence the precariousness that uh, many people find themselves in. Now, I, uh, I I do make the mistake sometimes of reading the comments underneath uh, newspaper articles, and so I, I I do have some vantage point on the skepticism that uh, many residents come to the topic of homelessness with. Uh, also spoken to many uh, Bay Area residents about this topic, and you know there there, there is. A lot of skepticism, especially engendered by the fact that this is an issue that's been around for so long. There's been uh, so much effort stood up to confront the problem of homelessness, and yet uh, still it is here with us. And I can imagine a lot of folks that are coming at this topic with that mindset. I can imagine them thinking, well, all right, Andrea Erton, you know, her story is fairly sympathetic. She uh, had the whole world come down on her at a young age and had to fight her way through that. And so, you know, feeling sympathy for that young person struggling through those uh, life difficulties, that's that's it's easy to muster that sympathy. But uh, what about the people for whom, you know, perhaps they were given opportunities that were squandered or or are in less sympathetic situations? So what do you say to the uh, resident who's wrestling through those thoughts? I say that uh, we are born and cultivate certain levels of resiliency, each single one of us as human beings. I am very lucky. When I tested on a scale of resiliency, I've got 20 plus factors. All right. That's a lot. Mm. So not everybody has that. Mm-hmm. Somebody might have one. Somebody mm-hmm. might have three. And what if that individual is doing the best they can with what they have? So let's take somebody by the name of John. Maybe John was caring for his ill mother, never really been very good at holding down a job, and not educated, doesn't really have an education, dropped out of high school. So he's got nothing to fall back on. His mother dies and he loses the house. He's now homeless with no skills. Mm. Is that really John's fault? And how do we support John? Yeah. And uh, crucially, we don't get to choose how resilient we are. Right. So, I mean, if, if, you're, if you have a high intellect and a sense of humor and are resourceful and able to reach out for help and mentorship, you have a li- high likelihood that you will succeed. If you don't have those things, you might struggle more. So what are you hoping 
that folks who listen to your story in the months ahead, uh, given all the difficult decisions that are coming up, uh, what do you what do you hope that they take away from it? I'm hoping that they build empathy for other people's situations. I hope that they're able to look at the fear that they hold, understandably so, around the issue of homelessness, around the issue of our unhoused neighbors. It's scary to look at somebody who's living on the street in the back of our minds. I think many of us think it could be me, so they don't want to deal with it. Mm. However, if we hit this head on, it's taken us many generations, by the way, to create this problem Mm. with the redevelopment agencies not building the housing because they're no longer around. So we don't have affordable housing to lean on. And all of a sudden, we've got all these people who need it. Mm. It's only going to get worse if we don't dive in full force now. Mm. And that means putting these things in people's neighborhoods. That means putting housing solutions. But the question is, they're already homeless in your neighborhood to begin with. Why not house them in your neighborhood? Now your neighborhood is safe for everyone. Mm. And I know that's a scary concept, but it can be done and can be done well because it is happening. Yeah. And I suppose the the flip side uh, of all of this is the the march out of homelessness that you successfully made and uh, uh, you and other homeless advocates would say many other people could make if they had the resources and the support. Absolutely. Absolutely. Andrea Erton, CEO of Home First Services. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth, your weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Manconi. So far on the program, we've been hearing from Andrea Erton about her decision to come forward and talk about her experience of homelessness during her teenage years. It's a story that remains tragically relevant all these decades later, as thousands of young Bay Area residents continue to face housing insecurity each and every night. And while the past year has been a tough time for just about everyone, advocates say it's been doubly cruel for the young and unhoused. To learn why, we're going to speak now with Javon Wilkes. He's the executive director of the California Coalition for Youth. Javon Wilkes, welcome to KCBS In-Depth. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Keith. So in speaking with youth homeless advocates over the last week, um, preparing for this program and uh, some additional reporting that's going to be airing Monday morning, Uh, I've been hearing a lot about their concern that in the overall push to protect uh, the homeless in California from the pandemic, there's been relatively less attention given to the young and homeless. And uh, they say that, you know, there really are some distinct issues facing young people when it comes to homelessness above and beyond what uh, adults and older folks face. And uh, so I suppose in starting, uh, tell us if you could, why you think it is that more attention should be paid to youth homelessness and and the distinct issues there? Well, you know, one, we did a survey of over 300 young people who are experiencing homelessness, who have slept in three different locations from sleeping in a car to a tent and outdoors. And these are young people under the age of 25, right? And so majority of those young people that took our survey were black, you know, they were African-American young people. Um, And when you think about the population of young people experiencing homelessness, there's also young mothers with children that are experiencing homelessness as well. And it just needs to be elevated because this pandemic, um, if it's teaching us anything and if history has taught us anything, The 2008 recession 
impacted our youth tremendously. And so that has only bled over because of the lack of resources from 2008 to 2020 when the pandemic first are, are really erupted. And so our young people are in need of our attention. They're in need of our support and they're in need of the financial resources for them to thrive because of the impact that they are suffering through. Yeah. And uh, picking up on that theme of long-term impacts, I actually want to bring in the voice of a young person who has experienced homelessness in this past year to get a better sense of exactly what these disruptions are that uh, many young people have been going through. Uh, So we're going to hear now from Chance Moore. He is a 23-year-old from New Orleans who moved out to San Francisco early this year after hitting a rough patch at home. It was weird because everything was going so well leading into 2020. I was doing an internship uh, for college and everything. I was basically doing the job that I wanted to do. And then uh, coronavirus hit then family issues happen, and then I have to refigure out where, what I'm going to do. Like so many people over the last year, he found that the pandemic made family tensions grow much worse. It made it to where issues that me and my family already had kind of exacerbated because oh, it's you're like stuck in together, stuck in stress. Mm. We couldn't agree on two different things because Ultimately, he decided to leave home, spending several weeks last year couch surfing with friends before he was able to make his way to San Francisco and move in with his longtime partner. Moore is rebuilding now, but the year of disruption has taken a toll. It feels like I miss every milestone, like everything that could have gone badish went bad, kind of. So it's like I'm not meeting where I want to be in terms of work. I'm not meeting where I wanted to be in terms of education. Uh, I'm at odds with my own family about literal reality. It was just a lot. And that was Chance Moore. So, Javon Wilkes, again with the California Coalition for Youth, I know that your group oversees a crisis hotline for youth. Wondering what sorts of crises you're hearing on the other side of that line. We just heard a number of disruptions uh, from Chance Moore that he's facing, and, and it sounds like a lot of them are really going to have long-term consequences for him. Um, is that the sense that you're getting from the young people that you're speaking to? Yes, yes, it's definitely going to have a long-term impact. I mean, you know, that young man's story is um, a situation where, you know, we've seen it before. Um on our crisis line, you know, we know that one of our top calls is family conflict from nonviolence to violence and being, you know, in a shelter in place situation for months on end. Young people have reached out to us um, through the survey, through our crisis line where, you know, they have to change their college goals. They have to move in with a relative or move in with a friend because their hours have decreased. Just like how we talked about, you know, this pandemic has just really impacted the employment of of young people and the jobs that they've had. So, you know, there was a sense that there was already struggle happening from hours working several jobs and, and trying to stay afloat. And then with the pandemic and just kind of 
altered things to where young people, you know, are, are in need of specifically the, the services and supports to help alleviate the stressors that come because there's also the other side of this thing where young people are have considered, you know, their mental wellness and suicide ideation then presents itself to where young people are, you know, struggling and really thinking about, you know, what do they want out of life and how is the the hope elevating them through this painful and heartbreaking year of their life. Yeah, all too common story. Uh, uh, speaking once again to Javon Wilkes, he's the executive director of the California Coalition for Youth. This is KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Manconi. So in terms of the resources that have been available, uh, another theme that's coming through is that, you know, a lot of resources have been stood up, uh, many of them for older homeless adults, uh, for folks that are medically vulnerable. Uh, but sometimes uh, young people have been asked to take a step uh, a little bit further back in the line. Uh, many of these uh, emergency hotel shelters have not been available at the same level to uh, young people. And so there there really has been a, a resource gap facing young people over the past year. Uh, a lot of um, folks hoping to get into housing, those aspirations put on hold for a, a pretty long time. As, as an advocate for youth as an, and as an advocate for youth homeless uh, and, and the resources that they need, what would you hope to see in the coming months to bridge some of that gap? Well, you know, even before this crisis, the state had a small safety net for young people. And in many communities, you know, young people did, didn't have a safe place to turn to. And in California, we have the highest percent of youth experiencing homelessness being unsheltered. And so in every community, there needs to be tailored services for youth that are literally sleeping on our streets, literally couch hopping, literally having to endure traumatic experiences to survive and be resilient to the next day. And particularly for youth that are 18 and 24, right? That there's there's there needs to be support. So the, the California Coalition for Youth are members and those who have been pivotal in, in our push um, for SB 234, you know, as one way that the state can put one-time dollars to good use. Right, yeah, that's a, that's a bill that's uh, seeking to create more housing for at-risk youth, yeah. To support our communities growing their, their services to really meet young people and serve them. And so with the funding aspect of things, with any funding that is going to be um, earmarked to combat homelessness in general, right? 25% of that at a minimum must be set aside for young people because there has been too many years that have passed where young people have been missed. And unfortunately, there's data that shows that our adult population had their first experience of homelessness when they were a youth. So youth experiencing homelessness when we prevent and end that, it is the greatest, again, combating force to ending adult chronic homelessness. All right. Well, in closing and uh, in sticking with that theme of long-term resolve and what it's going to take to carry some of this energy uh, forward, Another interesting trend that's been coming across in the conversations I've been having with uh, young homeless folks is this sense that 
in some ways, the pandemic has actually led to a, a blossoming of uh, a sense of community solidarity. Um, uh, that was the sentiment expressed by Xander Moore, who is actually the partner of Chance Moore, who we uh, spoke with earlier. Xander is also 23 and has been experiencing homelessness off and on for years now. But in 2020, Xander noticed a shift in attitude about homelessness from the general public. Here's Xander. And there was a lot more sympathy for what people were going through just because, you know, Karen over here now can't afford her groceries. And now she knows what it feels like to, to go hungry. Mm. And it, it, while I shouldn't be grateful for the pandemic, I am grateful for the fact that the communities kind of joined together a little for a while. There was like at least a good six months where I was not scared to be homeless. Mm. I was not worried that, you know, somebody was going to come up and make insinuations that I was a drug user. Xander is hoping that that sense of solidarity will continue. And uh, Javon Wilkes, I can imagine you're hoping the same. Oh, yeah. The sense of support is essential to lifting up our overall community out of this pandemic. And when we think about the brightest of opportunities, when we think about the, the, the individuals who will inherit this immediately, it's our young people right, 18 to 25, they're right in line with being our next leaders, right? They are our future, hashtag it. It doesn't matter, um, you know, where they, they are, what their circumstances, they have something to contribute and they are solutions to what we are fighting for, which is a thriving California, which is a thriving USA, which is a thriving global connection, a, a global um, move together to beat this common enemy called COVID, but then also to really tap into the humanity of how we want to do this together so that we can thrive together in the best way possible. And, and, and youth experiencing homelessness must be visible. People have to acknowledge that it is real our young people need not to be suffering through the experiences and the trauma and the abuse that they, they face when navigating homelessness as a young person when their minds aren't completely developed. And so, again, we need targeted investments, long-term commitments to youth because, again, they are our future. And when we combat and end youth homelessness, it is our greatest solution to combating and ending chronic homelessness. It's, it's, it's our best, best, best fight. All right, from his mouth to your ears, uh, we have been speaking to Javon Wilkes, once again, the executive director of the California Coalition for Youth. Javon Wilkes, thanks so much. Thank you. That crisis line we mentioned is the California Youth Crisis Line. It's available 24-7 for youth and families in crisis, and it can be reached at 1-800-843-5200. Again, that's 1-800-843-5200. This has been KCBS In-Depth. Remember, you can find past editions of the program online at the KCBS website or wherever you get your podcasts. For KCBS and In-Depth, stay safe, be well. We'll see you next week. been 
listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS.